0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is To Stir With Love, a criminal justice reform podcast. Unfortunately, Rabitza Kolokowski is not with us this week, and we miss his sage I advice and his ideas and his perspective that he brings as uh, the chief of chaplaincy in Waymart prison in Pennsylvania. However, uh, I do want to present to you that we have a, a program that we're going to present on in two parts. Uh, the first one is a panel discussion that we held uh, with Rabbi Scheiman, who is the head of Hinda Helps and uh, a pioneer in the area of uh, ministering to Jewish criminals, criminals who have, Jews have been found guilty and who are uh, in various detention centers throughout the state of Illinois and beyond. Uh, his wife, who is also uh, uh, an operations officer for a program director uh, in the Hinda Helps, uh, that's uh, Robinson Abigo Scheiman. And also uh, we have a, uh, Captain Dan Sosnovic, who is a 30-year veteran of the New York City Police Force, who is going to give us a perspective as well based on uh, being on the arresting side and understanding what those issues are. So I think it's a uh, an interesting discussion and, and follows right now. So I want to begin this conversation about um, a very important issue that uh, we're going to try to keep it centered on, which is uh, the issue of bail, bail reform, and how the bail reform legislation that has been enacted, how it has already uh, affected us in ways that are positive, perhaps, also negative, in ways that we could perhaps respond to that. Uh, I brought in, and we have this as we had last week, to have with us our Benjamin Shaiman, and uh who... Uh, is the longest-serving uh, chaplain for prisons in the state of Illinois. Also, the um, the chief executive officer and the founder of Hinda Helps, um, which, as we said, is an uh, incredibly expansive uh, institution that, uh, from soup to nuts, so to speak, helps prisoners, their families, uh, deals with so many different aspects of making life better, for people who've been incarcerated and their families in terms of them uh, integrating them back again. uh, Shimon, uh thank you again uh, for being with us. I know your time is limited, and whenever you give it to us, we are indeed mevorach uh, for your wisdom and your experience. Uh, this topic uh, is is in the front pages of of, of many many metropolitan newspapers. Uh, there are communities, especially in the last year, that have uh, been suffering through an uptick is not even the word for it. a almost a, uh, a a pandemic of crime that has been happening, and you can hear in some of the places whether it's Houston, uh, Chicago. Uh, Another other major cities, uh, they are saying, even in New York, they're saying that one of the culprits for this is bail reform, um, that bail reform, which I wasn't aware of it, but it seems like it gained a lot of steam over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. And there have been a number of laws that were put into these various communities that have um, limited a bail a, a bail especially certain high amounts of bail for only certain crimes. And because of that, there have been a number of, uh, of of persons who have seemingly committed crimes who have been then let out. And because of that, people are talking that these same individuals who were not um, put into their holding tanks, were not held before trial have gone out and have committed other crimes. And we are hearing about this uh, as a result of uh, the very weakened bail, uh, the the laws of bail. Um, I know that this is a very complex subject. And there probably isn't a uh, one-fit-all answer for it. Uh, Before you respond, let me just uh, put out there that I think these laws the way I, our, my reading has given me to understand, were a result of a, a very strong argument put forth by various um, uh, civil liberty uh, organizations that bail, the bail system was unfair the way it had been. And because of that, it needed to be changed. Whether we've changed it too much or we, it still needs to be tweaked is a question, but it was unfair because there were many people that were being held who couldn't afford the bail and... Instead, they were being punished, not for the crime that they did, but for for being poor, for not having the money. And because of that, they felt it was uh, mostly centered against people from impoverished communities that weren't able to afford these type of bails that were being set. We know that bail reform occurred, and we know that there has been a pushback against it. Let me get from you your perspective, a Torah perspective, a perspective of someone who um, has thought about this issue and and can maybe tell us what you would, uh, uh, how you would conceive the best possible situation and also talk a little bit about how you see the problems happening now. Rabbi Scheinman, please. Okay, I'd
1: like to start off with uh, in the Torah, uh, we see the usage of jail two times in the Torah. There were two people in the Midbar, the Makoshe Shaitzim, and the, um, the one who was Mavarech Hashem, the opposite. And Moshe needed to put them in a mishmar. He needed to put them in a jail. In the, I guess it was the Sinai County Jail. And uh, he, they were only there because they didn't know what the punishment was. They weren't, uh, they, and they were there for a day, probably. Um, people that are in jail, pre-trial, are innocent men and women. And that is where the problem begins. Uh, How much, an innocent man or woman, uh, the 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 conditions in jails are very horrendous. And as as much as possible, our clients at Hinda, we encourage the parents, the families, to do whatever they can to have their loved ones come out on bail. I had one man who had a hundred thousand dollar bail someone in the, actually in the Frum community. I don't want to get into any details, but I, we did find... A, we were able to get scrape together $10,000 to give to the wife of this man, and he spent two years on the street instead of sp- sitting in Cook County Jail. Here was a Frum person who would have needed kosher and uh, Shabbos and Twillin and, and, and everything. It would be impossible in Cook County Jail. And uh, for him to be able to out, be out on bail was, uh, was, was very important. We have another um, doctor who had a son. Uh, she posted the bail, but she had no place for him to go because he couldn't stay at home. And we searched, we searched, we found a Jewish uh, person who owns Ju- uh, um, nursing homes, and they allowed, they gave a room for her son to stay out. And he's been there for about a year now. It's made the, all the difference in his case because he's able to fight the case, not inside the jail. Inside the jail, people are going crazy. They, they want to make a, a plea already. They can't take the conditions. It's, it's horrendous conditions, especially in a place like Cook County Jail. And uh, we encourage all our people to get out on bail. Just yesterday, uh, I have a new client who went into jail and he had a, a misfortune, what was his misfortune? He had a, a $50,000 bail, which means he had to pay five, a bond, he had to pay $5,000 to get released. He hired a lawyer to see if it could get lowered. So the lawyer, the judge told the lawyer, Are you sure you want to do this? I could go either direction. I could review the case and decide that it should be higher. He said, No, we want to, you to review it. The judge reviewed the case and the man's history. And he upped the to a two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar instead of fifty thousand dollars. So now the family has to come up with twenty five thousand dollars, which I don't think they have. Uh, so you know so, he's so, going to.
0: So Rabbi, let me just uh, you know uh, interject just for a second, so people might understand. You talked about a hundred thousand, which is a, a tremendous amount of money. Well, I'll ask you in a minute why it was so high. But the reason why you've been talking about 10% is because there's another subcategory here, which is the bail bond issue, right? In other words, most of the time, hardly, because the courts won't, won't take a check. They're not gonna take a Visa card. They're not gonna take American Express. You're supposed to come up with the cash. That's the idea of the bail, right? To make sure that we have you. So the bail bond industry, is you're able to uh, put up 10%, right? In other words, you put up 10% to the bail bond person and the bail bond person is considered uh, not a risk. And then they uh, guarantee to the court that the person is going to show up, right? right. And th- th- That's why they have to come up with that money. Okay, so let me ask you in these cases that you were involved with, why was it that, what sort of crimes Necessitate a hundred thousand dollar bail. What sort of is there? Is there? Is there a book that, that we talked to last week with? Uh, Gershon uh, mentioned uh, the lawyer that we had on last week mentioned that there's either some sort of chart. Sometimes it's arbitrary in terms of sentencing. When it comes to bail, is there also some sort of uh, way that they understand how to apply bail in terms of the amount is there a, Is there a book is there a, based on is there a, a risk assessment? How do they decide that?
1: I think the prosecutor, the uh, uh, state 's attorney probably comes forward to the judge and argues the danger of this person being on the street or their flight risk sometimes they may be a flight risk it may not be the seriousness of the case and maybe this person will flee the country if you get if, if you set the bond too low uh they, so so there's different uh, uh so factors that go into versus. setting uh, some people do not get they don't even have they're in jail without bond they can't be bailed out that's the real serious cases the real serious cases they cannot be bailed out they get no bond
0: which means I would assume that there's a history to this offender, right? Or they, they, and they believe it's, it's too great of a risk to society. I suppose that's the idea, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. By by the way, the hundred thousand dollars was not a high amount. That's a, that's a, you know, a moderate amount. And today's dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. That's it. It's a, these are felony cases, but not of the most serious nature. You know, people that get million dollar bond, quarter of a million dollar, half a million dollars. Those are more serious cases.
0: Okay, I I know in my reading, uh, Rabbi, I've seen there's uh, in the Bronx and other places, there's these uh, um, uh, 501C3s. There are these uh, places that are charity, sort of like institutions that raise money to try to give uh, people that are arrested uh, these type of funds uh, to help them secure the bond. do you feel that that is something that we need to perhaps work on in the community, that there should be a place that it shouldn't be so desperate? Obviously, you know, it's almost like, you know, literally there's a gun to your head. You don't want the guy staying there. Then you have to scramble to come up with the money. Do you believe the same way we we have, we have gamachs for Pidyan Shvuyim? Should we have gamachs, you believe for this, for this type of purpose? Well,
1: this is, this is Pidyan Shvuyim because the difference of a person being able to defend himself while he's on the street as opposed to jail is, is that you can't even measure the, the, you, the, the price that he's paying to be able to be on the street helps very much. To, and I'll tell you why. When you're on the street, you know, court cases, they just schlep on forever. You, you meet once a month, especially during the pandemic. And you know what happens that once a month? My wife goes to this family every month She goes to the court. It's going for a year now. She's gone 12 times. You ask her how much that case has moved. Barely an inch. It didn't move anywhere. It's not even close to the trial yet. It takes so long. So you could imagine a guy sitting in county jail, uh, schlepping month after month after month, not knowing when it's going to end, wants to, mom, tell the lawyer to make a deal. I can't take it there anymore. I'm going crazy. Where Now he's out. He's saying, mom... Tell the lawyer there's no rush. I don't mind if I sit home or at where I'm at at this nursing home for a year or 18 months. Let me get the best deal. Let me get the best defense. If it takes longer, it takes longer. But therefore, the luxury of being at home, not inside, really, really helps the chances of the person to get a fair deal and, and get proper justice and not have to serve a long sentence. Uh, so it makes, it makes a difference. And we, we thought of having a gamach For, um, uh, you know, helping securing
0: bail bonds. Yes.
1: Yeah. You know, even Hinder, we've talked about the idea of having a gamach like that. Uh, We haven't done it. It's a lot of money. uh, But that's something that I definitely would consider uh, doing because it's so important. I see the difference. I see the difference.
0: All right, well, um, well, like I said, it has, it's being done in, in, in other communities. But you know what, Rabbi, and I want to bring in some of our other guests here tonight as well on this. Um, it sounds like even from what you've described, it, there seems to be, I, I didn't get, ai don't have a clarity about how you determine the amounts of the bail, but also it sounds like you have a, um, a, a system that moves at a, a snail's pace is, is being kind. It sounds like the the pace of, 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 of we all know there's inuyadin you mentioned before what the Torah tells us, the Torah is very makbed on Inu yadin, of a person just sitting there and waiting, uh, even if it's about nefoshos, even if he's a, a case that's going to decide his life, sitting there on quote unquote, on, on a death row type of situation. Is 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 against halacha? It's against the, the, our sense of humanity, even for someone who we know is guilty. Halacha kamavakam is kamavakama. Someone awaiting trial should have to wait and wait like this. So th- it seems like there's maybe there's bail bond or bail reform that needs to be done. But there also seems to be a, a, a vital need for judicial reform in terms of getting cases heard uh, quicker in a way uh, that they can be managed. Um, do you mind? Let's let's bring in. Uh, our other, uh, our other two guests here. One of them, of course, we're, we're blessed again with, uh, your wife is here, uh, uh, Rebson Abigail Scheiman. And also I want to also welcome, uh, into the program, uh, uh, a retired police captain Daniel Sosnovic, who is uh, uh, a, a 30-year veteran, uh, actually 31-year veteran, of the New York City Police Department. Uh, he actually rose in the department uh, to become a captain, and he was a commanding officer for leadership and executive training in the NYC Police Academy. Um, clearly, uh, uh, uh Cap, former Captain Sostevic has quite a bit of knowledge about uh, these type of situations. Of course, he's in—he was in New York. You were in Chicago, but I think there's enough of a similarity there. Um, so, uh, uh, Captain Daniel, um, uh, can you respond a little bit to what we've been talking about?
2: Yes. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I think the biggest problem that I'm hearing is that how we focus on the issue of bail, I I think your, your audience should understand that a crime has been committed. And again, that doesn't mean that a person is guilty. However, it does mean that enough evidence has been given so that a person has been arrested for that crime. Now, you know, that is a certain level of evidence that is across all jurisdictions. And the police don't have a right to arrest you unless you've reached that level of evidence to, to make an arrest. So when we talk about misfortune of people having high bails, I think, you know, we also have to talk about the misfortune that apparently they were in a position where their behavior has somehow risen to the level of probable cause to make an arrest. That is probably the biggest misfortune here. However, I will acknowledge what the rabbi said is that, yes, there are interminable delays in the criminal justice system. I think that certainly needs to be addressed. But I'm what I'm hearing in the discussion to this point is that we're looking for some type of a magic pill that will solve this problem. And unfortunately, in a lot of Issues with society today, that magic pill seems to be to go to the absolute opposite extreme. Where, for example, in New York City, they eliminated bail for many, for all misdemeanors and for many felonies. Now, what does that mean in reality? That means that, say, a family comes home from a week away in va- on vacation, and what do they find? Their entire home has been ransacked. They've lost all of their jewelry, they've lost many, many numismatic pieces of goods, and it's all gone. That's a straight up burglary. That's a felony. In the penal code, the person who did that needs to be arrested and appropriately charged. But guess what? Even if the police department finds who did that, that person is eligible now in New York City to be released without bail. And if you know anything about recidivism, especially in regards to the, to the crime of burglary, and I'm only talking burglary now, we could talk about almost any crime, but when you talk about recidivism, burglars are one of the most recidivist categories of crime that you have. So you are now releasing people without bail who have a high propensity for re-offending. And all because we want to go to the absolute opposite extreme—that bail is a bad thing now that we must remove from society. So, I, I appreciate the discussion. I think that yes, to languish in prison for a year or more, when in fact the criminal procedural law requires that the prosecutor bring you to bring you to a trial, say within. 45 days or 90 days or whatever the time frame is in reality. But unfortunately, there's all kinds of built-in loopholes in that procedure law that allows them to schlep for years. And that is a problem. And I agree that that should not be. But I don't know that us attacking the bail system the way, for example, New York did is the answer for the simple reason that look at what has happened to New York in the last year and a half. Um, shootings are up somewhere in the order of 120 percent murders are up as far as I know as of right now about 40 percent this year they were up an additional 40 percent in 2020 so we've become a much more violent city and you know you have a lot of people probably in your in your audience that don't even remember what New York City looked like in the 1980s when I was a young cop and that's exactly what we looked like back then so in such a short period of time, we have somehow turned the clock back, and we have now opened up a Pandora's box of crime, and every oh. single every single criminal incident yeah. has a victim attached
0: to it. You, you know, Captain, but, I know Rabbi Scheiman and I were discussing this a couple of days ago before when we were discussing about this topic, and I know that, Rabbi Scheiman, I know you agree with uh, Captain Sasnovic that there are um, crimes that perhaps you need to uh, assert a, a strong amount of bail, but there are other crimes that you thought probably shouldn't be involved in bail. Now, he talked about burglary, uh, the, the, the people that you were counseling and being involved with, it was more, wasn't it more like a white collar crime or something like that? Can you can you respond to it, uh, Rabbi, just for a minute? Yeah,
1: no, no, I, I do not deal with white collar criminals in Cook County Jail. They're all... They're all from the 10th commandment category. They're, they're more serious. But what in, in Cook County, let me just give an example of, Cook County did not take this crazy extreme position that New York did. That is a crazy position, going to that extreme. That t- makes no sense at all. In Cook County, when I started, there were 10,000 people housed at Cook County Jail every single day. And they did a small adjustment on their bail policy and they reduced the population to 6,000 people. And it was on lesser crimes, misdemeanors, and, but nobody in Chicago is, they're not like a fish you catch in the sea and then you release them back into the sea. That year, you're racing, you, to arrest them and put them back on the street is not what happens in Chicago and Cook County. What happens is there's more of house arrest. People are put on a GPS, people are monitored. They have to show up to their court cases. They're not just out there on the street running wild after they committed a burglary, uh, even if they do get bond. So w- the, in Cook County, the approach, uh, w- which I think maybe if New York modified their approach and put people on house arrest instead of being in jail, you're, at least you're at home, but you're being monitored and, and somebody's watching. And if you violate that, then you'll go to jail. But just to throw people out on the street without bond, without any supervision, without anything makes no sense to me at all. And that's not what happens in Chicago.
0: So, so in, in the case of Captain Sosnick's case of a, of a person that they have probable cause was the burglar, the person who had, done the, who had done the breaking and entering, would you also say house arrest makes sense for such a person? It,
1: it could, yeah. Because if the person's monitored and it, because he is under some supervision then, what, what's the the Cook County th- is? What is the difference to us if we have an officer? We have we hire people to monitor the people on the GPS, and the people are in their homes or if they're in the jail, they still have. If they ha- they have to show up to their court cases, they have to be compliant with ter- certain terms, and it it saves it saves money at the end, and it's easier on everybody, mm-hmm.
2: and uh, it does work in Cook County.
0: What do you think, Captain? Does it sound like that's something that we should be pushing for?
2: I certainly, like I said. I- as as a general as a general proposal i would have no problem with that i think it's a great idea because again if it works yes that would definitely solve part of the problem of these glacial of the of the glacial pace which with with which court cases go however i will say that you have to also consider for every action you're going to have reactions that you haven't built into so remember, it's going to take much more, much more resources to try and track down the people that have now violated their house arrest. Because you know that that's going to be a percentage of people that are going to either just totally evade it, cut off the electronic monitoring. I mean, people will become very, very adept at trying to avoid the requirements that have been placed upon them. So as long as we're aware that, there is no perfect answer for these, for these problems. But I mean, I will say that I am not opposed to that. I think that if that were to work and, you know, there could be there could be a a working a working setup where people who violate those terms, that we trusted you, that we weren't going to hold you in jail, that we are prepared to have you under house arrest or whatever. And if you violate that, we will place you right back in jail okay you know what if that was to work I'm definitely in favor of that because I do agree there is a problem with getting people to a fair trial in a in a fair time frame
0: and, is- the, and the expense of keeping them in in prison for that long. They, they might not be uh, eating uh, like they're at the Ritz, but it still costs every single person that's there. So I think Rabbi Scheinman is correct that the money will probably even out or even eventually uh, turn a profit for the city, that they don't have to store these people in these facilities. And there's, as, as Rabbi Scheinman says, you could have a person sitting at some sort of virtual base checking everybody, and uh, that might be uh, a, a, an easy way to do stuff. Um, Yeah, Well,
1: well, in Cook County, they actually did close down three or four divisions. They did save a lot of money on the food. They reassigned the officers. They didn't fire the officers. They put them on monitoring to make sure to, to, you know, to be able to monitor these people and find them. If they do clip off their GPS unit, track them down and bring them back. But the overall, so the resources were shifted from watching them in their cell to watching them. On their monitor, and they, it did save the county money. And imagine the just the just the money instead of feeding ten thousand people, feeding six thousand people. Just there, you're saving four thousand breakfast, lunch, and dinners a day.
0: Yes, I'm sure that could help, uh, Robinson, um what is, I, I want to bring you in over here. I know that you are extremely uh, concerned about the toll that this bail system has on the families. Why don't you please respond a little bit to that?
3: Okay, so I'm, I think I'm going to start with saying that, that sometimes we turn these issues into polarized issues. And really what we need is evidence-based policing. We need data. We need to ask who, what, when, where, how. And and we need to find solutions to these problems because I don't think, I think we all agree that one extreme or the other is not a solution. And we need to really do risk assessments of who should be released and who not. But I'd like to give you two stories of our families. Um, One story, because the ones who pay the price, as we know the families are the collateral damage of crime. They are the ones who pay the bail They are the ones who go through the stresses of court, and often they've been dealing with the mental health issues of their family member, because 30 to 40% of these people have mental health or addiction issues. And then they're the ones who pay the lawyers, and then they have to deal with with, um, the financial stresses, the psychosocial stresses, and the prejudice that is associated with having someone incarcerated. So I'd like to give you an example. Um, as we know, the conditions in jail—jail jail is not prison. Jail is a short-term holding facility. So if somebody's in a jail, they could be in a room with 12 people. The food is horrific. The living conditions is horrific. The people are often overmedicated. So it's meant to be a short-term solution. We had one person go in with a mental health issue. She actually has a second degree in college. Her crime was that she was texting somebody under her delusions. Um, She was put into jail and she ended up serving there for 18 months and she was found innocent in mental health court. She was severely over medicated. When she came home, she had PTSD And, um, and then she went back to work now, and she's still coping with the PTSD, but she was found innocent. She served in jail, which is worse than a prison longer than, than another incident. And her mother is totally devastated.
0: You're saying that you're saying that the time she spent in the holding place was more than she would have served had she been found guilty. She wouldn't
3: have served anything because she was not found guilty.
0: Right. I'm saying even if she kept
3: for eighteen months, another incident, somebody who was found guilty, he ended up being in jail for two years. In fact, he was in there so long that he he the day he was released, they almost had to send him to prison because he he was there longer than was permitted. Within that system, he was so traumatized. Now he was guilty, he was guilty. And and there did need to be some control systems. Um, In his case, it was a laptop crime. Um, So that needed to be controlled Um, and he was guilty. Um, However, he was in jail for so long that he exceeded what his sentence would have been had he been in prison because it took him so long. And when he was in there, he became insane. The stress was so much that when he came out, we were trying to rehabilitate him, but now he did find a job, but he now has such strong mental health issues, trauma that he didn't have before he went to jail. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying people should not be kept in jail. And I'm not saying that bond should not be posted. In both these cases, they were not allowed to be posted, but but we need to ask more questions, like what are the conditions in jail? How long are they there for? Um, can we do some mediation? Can we? Um, is there things that we? Some people are pleading guilty to avoid staying right. in jail. They're right. they're just they're just the conditions are so horrific they'll do anything, and. And poor people cannot pay these bonds. So when they go to court, they're already just going in to plead guilty. Why are we keeping them? Just yes, make so, them plead so, guilty. There's so, no solution.
0: So, so, so there's two points I just want to, uh, I know your, your husband has to has to uh, go off in a second, a uh, couple of minutes. But two points of what you've raised, which I want to get everybody's input on. The first thing is what you said is the risk assessment type of algorithm. Um, and I, I shared with you a couple of days ago with all of you an article that was written by the former chief judge of the state of New York uh, in an op-ed piece in the Washington Post a number of years ago. I think it was Jonathan Littman. And he talked about the uh, the idea of creating a database where most offenders have a certain there's certain amount of material, obviously, it has to do with uh, private uh, privacy issues might have to be dealt with. But there's a, a, enough material for every person who appears before the judge to figure out, hmm, instead of is this person a risk flight is has this person done? What should we do in terms of that? And that's it's going to take a while till we organize that. But that that I believe sounds a lot more fair than just coming down with an arbitrary amount. Especially, as you say, uh, there might be another issue here, which is if a person comes from a poor family, a person comes from a family that can't afford the type of bails that your husband said are are very common, 50,000, 100,000, then that's basically a sentence to stay in that holding tank. Whereas if somebody comes from A more wealthy family, uh, they're they're able to use the family support It drains them, but they are able to come up with that money. They are able to mortgage their house or do something for that. So it seems like these numbers are are, are skewed. It should be perhaps there should be a risk assessment factor for each person. And also, just as we have in Chazal, I know Chazal talk about Moschitim and other things, other sorts of tzedakahs, that they decide to to tax the person or demand from the person based on their means. And the idea of having this one price fits all does seem to prejudice against those who don't have the funds and seems to be a benefit for those who come from more wealthy families who are able to fight the case. And I think the statistics have shown that people who are out on bail generally uh, the 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 conviction rate is sort of like sixty percent uh, less than those who weren't able to be there, and it it can't just be you know there's there's obviously some of these factors here. So if I can get everybody's uh, uh let's start with the uh, the rabbi first since he has to go. Rabbi, I, I know the, if, if you can respond a little bit to what your your, your said and a little bit to the ideas that I put on the table just now.
1: Yeah, well I agree with uh, the, I I think what we're all saying is we are agreeing that these extremes of setting bonds so high beyond people's means and just keeping people in jail uh, or just catch and release on the other extreme, neither of those make sense. And there needs to be a common ground found in in the middle um, where the most serious offenders uh, and there should be assessments, there should be an algorithm, there should be like my wife said, the how, where, why, when, who, and figure all those things out. And uh, the truth of the matter is, most of the people um, can, uh, you know, can, can be out on bond. It's, we're talking about a very, on the slice of the pie, you're talking about a small slice, 20, 30% of the really, really, very, um, you know, that need to be really jailed, even without bond, are very dangerous. That's not the most of the people. I would even add that not just house arrest, but if somebody has an addiction or a mental health, maybe they could uh, not just just harm arrest, they could be alternatively, they could be instead of being housed at a jail, they, could put, they have to stay in a drug rehab center. They have to stay in a mental health care center where they get cared for until their trial. Uh, so they're not just at home, but they're getting treated in the meantime. So you're treating the addiction or the mental health thing instead of them just running the street or being at home, not getting help or sitting in jail and just rotting away, get some type of a treatment. So um, I think there has to be more where America, we have a lot of smart people and uh, be smart crime, not just not just tough on crime, but smart on crime. We could save money. We could help more people and we can make a fairer system and keep us safe at the same time.
0: Uh, thank you so much, Rob. I know you have to go, Dan. If you would, uh, I know you represent. You know, we're here. You know, these are the activists who are worried about the, the 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 criminals, so to speak. I know you come from, as you pointed out, you come from the other side, from the arresting side, from the from the integrity of the of the police and the law enforcement. Um, so, what's your response uh, to some of the things that we've been saying here,
2: Dan? So again i i am i am in favor of us looking at the system as a whole in terms of where the best bang for our buck will be by reforming certain aspects that are definitely broken i am uh, i believe that there is a percentage of bail the bail system that is probably broken however i am Particularly concerned again with the with the glacial pace of uh, court cases. I think that that is terribly unfair to the accused, because we do believe that the accused are innocent until we've proven otherwise. So for things to drag on for twelve and eighteen months, when in many cases uh, they are required to bring a trial much quicker, I think that's a that's a much more fertile area that we need to look at. Um. I, I, however, and as you just said, I am concerned because for every time that we look at family members of the accused, and as we as we heard the Rebbetzin say, financial issues, psychosocial, psychosocial issues. I mean, you know, there are also victims and victim family members that face financial issues and psychosocial issues, and I specifically chose earlier my my example of burglary because burglary is only a property crime it is not a violent crime and yet as you know certainly I've seen dozens if not more times that it can have deep cycle psycho, psych, uh, psychological scars on families that have been you know that have been actually just violated in the way of you know you come home and everything has been tampered with broken or taken so, I mean, there's always, you know, there's always the other side of, uh, of you know, who are we going to protect more? And again, I, I am, but, but with that being said, I am totally acknowledging what the other panel members have said is that, you know, the people who are arrested are still innocent. So for us to be keeping them for longer terms in jail then they would have served in prison had they been found guilty. That is the height of absurdity. And I, I won't I won't defend that at all. That's totally wrong. What do
0: you think about, you know, investing in a, a sophisticated and accurate risk assessment for every uh, offender? And in this way, the judge can determine that as opposed to, you know, right. And, 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 and everyone has that profile in a way. And uh, isn't that something that we should start be working on? I mean, we talked about smart people, Rabbi Scheiman said there's a lot of smart people and and, and technology is probably the area that we become the smartest in. So to to create. I I,
2: I tried to get, I I tried to read up on that. And yes, you did send, you did send some material. Yeah. Uh, I I am still left after looking at that with a great deal of skepticism on that point. Um, Believe it or not, you know, most judges have a great deal of experience uh, in this realm. I think prosecutors probably also have a great deal of experience. I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I think that, believe it or not, it's not that difficult to make a decent assessment of who is a risk to re to appear uh, at a, at a subsequent court hearing and who is at risk to uh, reoffend that is not as complicated as I think some people would make it out to be and I I am like I said the little bit I've I've looked at some of the statistics on these uh these algorithms leave me with a great deal of skepticism right now I think there needs to be a, a lot more research in that area if we're even going to attempt to come up with a Absolutely blind, color, colorless system that you know takes takes the important things into account. The important things that I think need to need to be in account, and this is what bail is supposed to do, is that what is the what we are going to release you, but you must reappear because we have to we have to charge you appropriately. We have to bring you to a court of law and determine whether you're guilty of what we've charged you. Right. So you know, that so, is the one risk that we're taking by releasing you. And then, of course, there's the other risks of reoffense. There's There's, uh, you know, risks of, of, of other antisocial right. behaviors. So well, all these what, things need to be taken into account.
0: What about what I was saying? And I want to get uh, Rebbitz on this as well. The, the fact that there shouldn't we should look at the, the uh, financial situation of the person involved uh, before we set that amount. And don't you don't you agree that for someone from a, an underprivileged uh, home uh, from a, that their that their total amount of money they've been made over the last couple of years doesn't even come close to their bail is is a little bit unfair compared to someone who comes from a wealthy home that to, who is able to afford a higher bail like that?
2: I certainly I certainly you know I respect that argument, however. I'm also aware that we have politicians today and again from New York that are saying that, wait a minute, they're committing crimes because they have no money. This isn't about like, you know, they're, you know one person, one, one of our more well-known politicians said something to the effect that, you know, that robbery was only committed because he needed a loaf of bread. That's why he put, pointed a gun at somebody's head and, you know, ripped off the bodega. Uh, and, and it 's like that kind that kind of thinking is a very very so uh, dangerous, I, very dangerous slope to go down
0: so so I think what you 're saying is that the bail reform that that has already entrenched itself here with deleterious effect is really a byproduct of a whole um uh, racial identity politic, which is that um that the system is uh is is against. People who have been oppressed, people African Americans and others, other members of society that haven't been given uh, the the rights and the possibilities. I'm just mouthing what they're saying, and therefore they're they're they are bundling it all into one big social message, as opposed to zeroing in and being honest about this person and this and this crime that would have been committed. Uh, is that what you're trying uh, I would, to say?
2: I would agree with that to a certain extent, and I would also just add. That, for example, I saw a headline yesterday. Yesterday, in the, in the New York papers, on Sunday, this past Sunday, 48 hours ago, there was nine people shot two fatally in New York City. And the paper, the head, the paper listed every single shooting where it occurred. Nine out of nine occurred in um, areas of minority neighborhoods. So the people that are getting hurt by our attempts to fix the system are the same people that we're trying to help because they are impoverished, they are haven't been given you know haven't been given appropriate educational tools, haven't been given enough of society's uh, benefits or whatever those arguments are. So you know I, I just I'm, I'm here to just remind everyone that. You know, there is a cost here that is usually being paid by the very same communities that we that some of the more vocal people claim that they're trying to help.
0: Right. Now And again, even though we've been you know, this is obviously where this is our, our podcast is from a yeshiva and we are looking at things. You know, we start, I guess, from a Jewish perspective. But I think part of what we've been trying to do is to make this something which can, you know, be relevant even beyond our community. uh, Rebitson, uh did you want to comment here on, 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 what, uh, on what the captain was saying?
3: So I'm, I'm going to try to not polarize this issue and stay solution-based because I have a lot of empathy for the police. They're going into situations that no one wants to go into. And they're the ones that are taking the risks. They're the ones that are bringing back the people. They're the ones that are risking their lives and losing their lives. And, you know, replacing them with a social worker is not really a solution, right? We do have issues that we need to deal with. But the problem with bail is a larger problem. Our recidivism rates are somewhere near 70 to 80%. So even if you incarcerate them, they're still coming back out into the street. They're still coming back out into these communities. And you haven't really solved the problem. We're still sending our police officers into situations um, where uh, race is, I'm not saying it's an issue. Maybe we are criminalizing poverty in some ways. However, there is still somebody that needs to go in there and stand the line and help these people. And so when we look at bail and we look at recidivism, we need to take a whole, a larger picture of how we're going to make the police more functional. What is the, in my day we had a risk management assessment. How do we deal with people with mental health issues? Because police need to learn how to deal with that a little bit better, at least in Canada? How do we deal with addiction issues? Are there other solutions other than just, you know, incarcerating and then forcing these poor policemen to go back, pick them up out of bail, pick them up out of recidivism, and then these people are in an endless cycle? And the solutions aren't easy, but some are obvious. We need mental health institutions here in Illinois. We don't have them in the 80s. We lost them. So Cook County Jail has become the largest mental health institution of all of Illinois. Um, We need better systems. We need the funding within our jails. They say defund the jails, defund the police. Well, that just makes it more aggressive. We need more sophisticated solutions for problems, more evidence-based policing that we won't have this recidivism rate in America. We're arguing the same argument now for many, many years. Um, police versus this versus that. And yet maybe we need to take a step back and do an analysis. For example, are the crime rates going up because people are posting bail? What is causing these crime rates to go up? Is there evidence? And if the evidence is bail, then we need to look at that. But maybe the crime rates are going up for another reason. I remember reading a study, which was crazy. I I was taken aback. The right was saying one thing, the left was saying the other thing, and the most correlated factor was lead in the gasoline that had reduced the crime rates. And everybody was thinking that's ridiculous. It's this, it's
0: that. I, th- I think what you're saying, Rebitson, is that uh, statistics uh, can be uh, an arbiter of truth, but also can be used to foist whatever position you'd like them to do. There's ways to play with the statistics in a way and then present that as if it's empirically true when there might be some other factor involved, right? I think that's-
3: It w- could be other factors, but I think we need to get away from rhetoric and uh, fear. We have fear. And so when somebody says, oh, somebody's going to come and kill you, well, then let's put them in jail, right? But that hasn't solved a problem, a social problem. Oh, you
0: know, you, you, you mentioned- Go the other way.
3: They're poor people. Let's let them out. But that is also rhetoric. Where is the balance in terms of our solving problems in society? How are we going to stop the recidivism rate in America? When are we going to stop trying to punish the police or the people on the streets and stereotype? When are we going to look for real solutions?
0: Well, I, I think the, the, the question is definitely out there. I think you're right. The fact that the gloves that we're wearing are sometimes tinged with a whole uh, aspect of, of a political aspect is part of the problem. Uh, one of the things I just want to get a clarification on, and then I want to uh, wrap this up, The uh, you talked about the fact that mental health facilities uh, aren't in existence anymore. Uh, and therefore, the prisons and other places are being filled with uh, people who have clear mental health issues. And it's, it's like prison's not the place for them. They should be in a hospital. You said before that the, the mental health institutions were closed. I think part of the reason they were closed, uh, Rebitson, is because of the abuses that were going yeah. on there. Uh, my, uh, as someone who had a sister who was developmentally disabled who was put into one of these horrible places where she was uh, tortured and abused, yeah. I think that's uh, really why those places were closed. There was, there was such a lack of oversight in these sanitariums and in these mental health facilities um, and, and, and there was almost like, I don't want to know what's going on over there, therefore, the reaction was, we need to, uh, we, we, have to we, we can't And we can't congregate people there and just uh, shove them, shunt them away. Of course, the option of keeping them on the street, of course, didn't make, uh, is yeah. what you were saying. So, I
3: think you're entirely correct. They were, they were not well run. There was shock therapy, things were, it's a very good example, they were poorly run. But instead of fixing the system, they closed it. So that is a good example of that polarization. What needed to happen was there needed to be oversight, there needed to be fixed. Instead, now we have all these people on the streets, about 30 to 40% of our clients have mental health issues. If they're bipolar, they're often treating them with drugs. And drugs is like a demon. So instead of improving the mental health facilities and fixing it, they close them. And now they've gone into jails where these people are um, inappropriately medicated and there's no doctors, there's nothing, there's no treatment for them. They're sitting there screaming sometimes or they're being put. There was a huge case here in Illinois where the correctional institutions lost because they were... They were they were locking up people who had mental health issues and throwing medication in through the bars.
0: Uh-huh. Right, it sounds horrendous uh Captain Sorry. Dan, I know that uh, you know obviously you were a commander in a way you were training people. What sort of advice did you give to your uh, to your officers on the street in terms of dealing with uh, a, a, a a person, a criminal uh, a, a, a suspect that clearly had mental health issues? Can you talk a little bit about that and then we'll uh, sort of uh, sum up here
2: well the the NYPD had a very robust mental health protocols in regards to emotionally challenged individuals so we actually I mean certainly in New York we, we went through some of the growing pains back in the 1980s and I would say that a lot of our a lot of our um, efforts were very successful in terms of like dealing with emotionally disturbed people where they are not you know they are not um, hurt or killed, when in fact, what they need is they need to be taken to a hospital and get help. So my, my experience throughout almost my entire career, because I came in literally at the at the beginning of a much more proactive approach to dealing with mental health challenges. Um, I think that, you know, the rabbit again, I agree with what she's saying, I think the polarization is a problem. And I think, however, that what we're going to see, unfortunately, which is probably going to be a problem in terms of us getting to that middle that she wants us to get to, is that you are now seeing the swing already happen in New York. Um, in other words, we, we had we had uh, two terms of a mayor that decided to be very progressive and a city council and a state assembly that decided to pass all kinds of bail reforms that We've talked about tonight, and yet now we've opened the floodgates to a lot more crime in the city. So, who is who has taken the Democratic primary? The most the most um, proactive uh, person, at least available, that wants to deal with the crime again. So these things unfortunately seem to bounce between the extremes when 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 we live in the extremes so you and, and i think that you know i think that's part of the problem again <laughs> it went from it went from a, one of the safest big cities in america to like shootings increasing double inside of one year and that is like so traumatic to the citizenry that i think their their initial their initial reaction is to bounce right back to the other side and I think that's that's part of the polarization problem. Uh,
0: again, you know, I know you spent 30 years, 31 years in the forest. Are you, did you meet uh, uh, the mayor, the, the one that it seems like he's going to be the mayor, uh, Mayor Eric Adams to be, is, is someone that you know?
2: Yes, I, I definitely crossed paths with him uh, when we were both on patrol in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. I, I do remember crossing paths with him. And uh, again, I you know, as as not as because I'm not a resident of New York City anymore. I mean, I have less of a stake in it, but I do know that he has, you know, he has assembled a pretty long resume of, you know, public service. So, you know, if he is who is chosen to be the next mayor, I think that all New Yorkers are going to wish him a lot of luck because unfortunately, the situation that he is inheriting is very very different than the one that the current mayor inherited 8 years ago.
0: And 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 you're expecting a little bit of a of a pushback as you say, not a uh, on 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 some of the issues maybe even repealing some of the bail reform, right? Because that's within his purview him and the city council going to be able to do that. Uh Robinson, I know that you don't live in Chicago uh, proper, but I know that uh Chicago's mayor, uh Lori Lightfoot, I think is the mayor, right? Lori Lightfoot. Uh I I think progressive is her middle name. Right. I mean, she's definitely been, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if Lightfoot is her real name anyway, but whatever her whatever her her given name is, I don't really care. But I know she's been waving the flag. She's no Rahm Emanuel. Right. I think she's uh, she's way to the left as far as that goes. And yet it's interesting how your husband says that Chicago is creating a model that's starting to work, at least from your husband's perspective. So, perhaps there, perhaps the situation isn't as bleak as you said. Did he
2: say? Did he say Chicago or Cook County?
0: Um, <laughs> I don't know about Chicago. Yeah. Um, so yeah. You're saying there might be, and again, part of it is the municipality issues. Look, you know, obviously, I think one of the things that we realize that we can't in 45 minutes or an hour solve everything. So, I think right. this is. I think we've. I think we've at right. least given enough of a perspective. Uh, one other thing I would say to both of you, and this is part of what my reading has indicated that the pushback against bail reform a lot of it was from the bail bond industry that was make that was raking it in right the bail bond industry was was because you know your your money is not refunded that ten percent that you have to give for the bond is kept by the right is, is kept by the bail bond company and then they charge another fee you know a certain amount for each person so there was I wouldn't call it graft, but there was a lot in the system that was, and those people were donating uh, money, the bail bond uh, people were millionaires and billionaires who were donating to all the different uh, uh, elected officials. So I think you you can't take that out of the, 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 the mix as well as one of the reasons why this system is so entrenched. <laughs> There's a lot of people that have been getting their, have been, paying for their homes and paying for their their big houses and for their escape routes to the Jersey Shore based on that. So I think that, um, you know, we've got a system that there's, we could probably attack from so many different ways. So I want to thank you uh, for being here. Um, and we'll try to deal with perhaps another issue uh, next time.